0: i don 't know if you <clears throat> excuse me i don 't know if you recognize that song or not, but you will soon enough we 're going to learn it. Uh, it was given on a conference I attended in Dallas about two years ago, and that came from a small church smaller than this one in england and the pastor was there, and he uh, someone in his congregation had um, came up with that song, and he gave it to us. It's got a beautiful tune to it. Thank you all for playing it this morning, and we'll have the words to it and learn it soon enough. A couple of announcements. The Glory Be Girls are going to be meeting on the 21st, is it? Yeah, the 21st, which is only about a week and a half away, so you have that much time to get your questions together. They've asked me to... Uh, be on the firing line so that uh, whatever questions you may have, and for this particular one, uh, they have approved uh, men to come also. So if the men have any questions and want to be there, it starts at, what is it, 10 or 10.30? 10.30, uh, Wednesday morning. Also, you may have noticed in the bulletin that uh, the new book has come out. Uh, you're married, now what? And... There's a box over there uh, by Carrie sitting. When you, if you go out the door, you can get them there or you can get them in the um, library. We have over 500 of them. So we have plenty. Get all you want. And if we run out, we'll get more. Now on a more somber note, um, I received word this morning that uh, Pete Monty went to the emergency room this morning in Bryan. Uh, Dot uh, took him. He had chest pains all night. You know, not long ago, he had an angioplasty and had four stents put in his uh, blood vessels. And so um, Charlie, Charlie Morgan is there with them, and we're just uh, waiting to hear word on his condition. So I hope you'll join me in prayer as we uh, remember him and prepare ourselves for the study of God's Word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God of all power and grace, and that your grace is always sufficient, can never be earned or deserved. And our heart is heavy this morning thinking about Pete being in the emergency room. We pray that you will help the doctors find out what is the problem and be able to remedy it. We know that you are the great physician. We pray that you will just. Well, we just lift him up in prayer. We love Pete and just pray that you will be with him as well as Dot, that you will bring him through this and bring him back to us, for that certainly is our desire. Now we pray that you will help us to focus on your mighty Word this morning so that it can go deep into our long-term memory and change our thinking to line up with the mind of Christ, which is the Word of God. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we're on the downside of the, if I, maybe that's not the right word, <laughs> we're just about completed the ninth floor of the divine domain. And so we are going to look at a few verses, but first of all, We need to remember what occupation with Christ is. It is the ninth floor of the divine domain just under the penthouse. Here's a definition of occupation with Christ. Occupation with Christ is personal love for our Lord Jesus Christ through maximum doctrine circulating in the stream of consciousness of the heart by means of the filling of the Holy Spirit. That's the technical definition. It means to just think about Christ. When you're thinking about Christ, you're using divine viewpoint and you're thinking doctrine. It doesn't matter how much money, fame, success, talent, beauty, power, strength, or intelligence a person has, if he's not occupied with Christ, he is unstable, unsatisfied, and unhappy. It just, I just thought of something. Is the TV on over here? Okay, good. Um, <clears throat> so, it's not the things of life that are going to be satisfying. It's only a relationship with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the important thing. Now you might turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. Ephesians 3, verse 16. That He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. The inner man is the real you. Uh, That's the dominant portion of your soul, which we call the heart, the cardia. That Christ may dwell in your hearts. I want you to underline that part. That's what we're zeroing in on. That is the occupation with Christ, that He will dwell in your heart. You all know that as a believer that you are in Christ. That occurs because of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The moment you're born again by believing in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit puts you permanently in union with Christ. Nothing can ever change that. So we know that Christ is in us, or that we are in Christ, but is Christ in us? That's the question. Now, it can be a little confusing because we have Scriptures that inform us that Jesus Christ indwells us. For instance, in John chapter 14, verse 20, it says, "...in that day you will know that I am in my Father." And you in me and I in you. So Jesus Christ indwells us just as the Holy Spirit indwells us in God the Father. If you want to take a few other verses down that would substantiate the fact that we're indwelt by Christ, we have John seventeen twenty three, Galatians two twenty, and Galatians one twenty seven. But this verse is not referring to the indwelling of Jesus Christ. This verse is dealing with it in another sense. If you'll put a bookmark where you are now and go to Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. Galatians chapter 4, verse 19, My children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. Underline that Christ is formed in you. This is comparable to Christ dwelling in your hearts. Until Christ is formed in you. Christ is formed in you by taking in the Word, changing your thinking, and reaching spiritual maturity. One other verse, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. This was a controversial verse, and we need to analyze it to make sure you... Put it in the right perspective. 2 Corinthians 13.5. 2 Corinthians 13.5. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail the test? Now this is an awesome verse for some because they think that it is soteriological by nature. Soteriological means they think that it's talking about eternal salvation, but it has nothing to do with that. When it says test yourselves to see if you're in the faith, that simply means are you in fellowship with God? Are you executing the Christian way of life? Are you fulfilling what the object of faith is, in this verse, is simply doctrine? Are you applying doctrine to your circumstances? Being in the faith is not the same as being saved. This is written to believers, and we're, we're never to test ourselves to see if we are born again or not. The Bible never informs us to do that. Because the moment that you believe in Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that you are imputed with eternal life and God's own righteousness. It's a done deal, and it can't be improved on. These things are irrevocable. The testing of ourselves to see if we're on course according to God's plan. So in our what started this was in Ephesians three sixteen or seventeen says Christ that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Now with Second Corinthians thirteen five, it says that we are to examine ourselves, or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail the test. Now if you fail the test, it means that Jesus Christ is not dwelling in your hearts. This has absolutely zero, nothing to do with the fact that you are in Christ. It has nothing to do with the fact that Christ is in you in the sense of being indwelling you. Those are positional. They're permanent. Nothing changes them. But in our verse, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, it says that Christ may dwell, be at home in your hearts. Maybe He will and maybe He won't. He is always indwelling you, and you are always in Christ. But whether He dwells in your heart or not is dependent upon your attitude towards God and His Word. And if you have not been taking in the Word of God, if you've not been studying to show thyself approved unto God, then I can assure you He is not dwelling in your heart. That's the context of this. So it says... uh, or do you not recognize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless you fail the test? So if you fail the test, it means that you are not doing your duty as a royal ambassador of God. You're not studying, you're not applying, you're not thinking divine viewpoint. It has nothing to do with whatsoever with your eternal salvation. You got that? Because there are many that would go here and say, that you have to test yourselves. By the way, how would you test yourself to determine whether you're in the faith or not, if faith meant being a believer? How would you do that? How does a person test themselves to see if they're truly saved or not? Now, most people would answer that question, if they were really honest, It would say, well, by my works, what am I doing? What is my behavior? But we've already gone over this till we nearly are beating a dead horse that your behavior is not commensurate necessarily with your eternal salvation. There are believers who are much uh, worse than unbelievers. Their behavior would embarrass hell. And yet they are still believers. They're still saved. So... If you want to examine yourself whether you are truly saved or not, I guess the only test would be, okay, have I believed in Jesus Christ? And you think, Well, yes I do. Well the answer is okay, you're saved, you're going to heaven. That's it. Doesn't have anything to do with works, doesn't have anything to do with your behavior. Just wanted to get that squared away. Now back to Ephesians chapter three, verse seventeen, if you kept a a bookmark there. Or you can look up here. That Christ may dwell in your hearts, that is, being occupied with Christ by faith. Everything in the Christian life is by faith. Faith here is the object of faith, which is Bible doctrine. In other words, Christ is dwelling in your hearts when you're thinking Bible doctrine, when you're applying Bible doctrine, when you have divine viewpoint, Christ is dwelling in your heart. And in love, that would be virtue love. Virtue love is the type of love whereby you love your fellow man because Christ first loved you and you are reciprocating that love, that is God's love, by, obe- uh, by obeying Him and loving unconditionally those who are unlovable. So let's see what we have so far. That Christ may dwell... In your hearts, by faith and in virtue, love, that you being rooted and grounded. Rooted and grounded are two participles. And they're important to understand what these participles mean. The rooted, the Greek word here is rhizomai. That's R-H-I-Z-O-O-M-A-I. And it's a perfect passive participle. Now the perfect tense always gets our attention because it's something that uh, uh, an act that is completed in the past and the results go on and on. And rooted, this word ruamai means to be rooted, to be firmly fixed. And so as you grow in grace, as you study doctrine, you know what's happening in in a symbolic sense. You're putting roots down in your spiritual life. Your roots are growing. Oh. Carrie and I have a, a oak tree on our place, and fortunately it is it 's a huge oak tree. Uh, I guess it would take two men at least to be able to go like this and get their arms around it huge oak tree and they tell me that you can uh, pretty well gauge how deep the roots are by how high the tree is, so the, the the roots go down about as high about as deep as the tree is high that is some. Deep roots. I don't know how old that tree is. I'm sure it's over 100 years old. And so that that tree is stable because it's put down roots. And that's what we're doing. We're putting down roots in order to have that stability. And then we have the next participle which says grounded. And the word uh, grounded in the Greek is uh, thamelio, T-H-E-M-E-L-I-O-O. And it's also a perfect passive participle. It means to lay a foundation, to ground, to establish, to confirm. So it is the writer of Ephesians, which is the Apostle Paul. He's saying this is his desire, that Christ may dwell in your heart by faith and in love, that you may be rooted and grounded. I want you to notice both of these are in the passive voice. Isn't that interesting? Most people think if you're going to be stable, you're going to be really fixed in in your spiritual life, you really have to get to work. You have to hustle. You've got to do a lot of good deeds. But this is in the passive voice. What it means is if you're seeking God, if you're taking in His Word, then you are going to receive what so many people want in life, and that is stability, to feel secure. Not only feel secure, know you're secure, because as a believer, first of all, you know that no one can take you out of this life until it's God's timing, And no one can keep you in this life once it's time for you to go. And I'm so thankful for that. Do you ever think about that? Anytime my, my mind ever uh, drifts over to death, I start thanking God because it's not my decision. Aren't you glad of that? What if God says, okay... Uh, I'm going to let you decide when you're going to die. And you're going to live until that time. If that was the case, we would have some really old people here. And uh, I've heard it said before, and I think it's true, the older I get, they say old age is not for sissies. And I I believe it. Uh, the older we get, the more uh, problems we have, physical problems. Uh, one, the first thing that goes is not your hair as what some people may think, well, it might be for some, but usually, as you grow older, uh it's the vanity that leaves uh, most of us when we were younger, thought we were all that and a little bit more. it didn't matter how what you look like, we were kind of uh somewhat biased, I guess you know what I'm talking about when you walk by the uh glass fronts of stores and you're looking all that good, you can't help but just take a little peek and you yeah. I'm still there. I still got it. Well, that doesn't last. So, we don't have to worry about the time that we're going to depart from this life because we're stable. We're secure. We recognize that's God's business, not ours. But not only in that realm, in every realm. You know, what's so important in life is to have confidence. And I'm not talking about a cocksure, arrogant type. Of confidence, I'm talking about a confidence based on what you have learned about God. And when you understand that God loves you more than you love yourself, that He has a perfect plan for your life, and He gives you the volition to either live it or not. You can refuse to live it if you want to. But you have that stability because your life depends upon the omnipotent, omniscient God that is full of grace and mercy. Now you can have confidence. That's what it's all about. That is all wrapped up in these two participles in the passive voice. You're here this morning. Now, you did get here, and hopefully you did check to make sure that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. So you're sitting here. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. You're listening to the Word being taught, and that's all that's required. The stability comes because God will give you that stability. You don't have to do any penance. You don't have to count beads. You don't have to walk an aisle. You don't have to do anything, but just sit there, concentrate on God's Word. And as that is happening, roots are going down, spiritual roots to make you stable. A foundation is being laid. The foundation is Christ. He is the cornerstone. So I hope you underline those two words. Being rooted and grounded that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints. This is one of the great things about God's grace. If, if, we, had, uh, if we passed out IQ tests, and everybody took an IQ test, there would scores be way up there, and some scores might be somewhat in the cellar. But the great thing about God is that He doesn't depend on your intelligence in order to grow all the way up to the tenth floor, the divine domain. It depends on His grace. That's why the GSP stands for the... What does that stand for? The Grace System of Perception. Every one of us have it in our spiritual realm. You can perceive because God gives you the grace to perceive and it doesn't depend on your IQ. That's why every believer, all the saints, can comprehend what is the breadth, length, height, and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. And that word for knowledge there is gnosis knowledge. And I've been t- teaching the young people, and they already they, I'm very well sure that they've got it now. Gnosis information is what goes into the noose, which is your mind, and it's information that you are able to perceive. It's information that you can process. But that's all it is, is the processing center of information. If it's not important to you, it won't stick. If you don't believe it, it will go right out the window and it won't go into your cardia, your heart, into your long-term memory. So, to be able to comprehend whether the breath length, and height, and depth is to know the love of Christ, which surpasses just gnosis information. It means that you've already processed this information. You believed it, and now it's in your long-term memory. Now it can be an advantage to you that you may be filled up now this is the the greek word is a verb here it's pleroō p l e r o o and it is the aorist passive subjunctive now i know that that may throw you but i'll explain what that's talking about the subjunctive means you may be filled up to the fullness of god and you may not now who does it depend on whether you're going to be filled up to the fullness of god or not does it depend on god no does it depend on your pastor? Does it depend on your family or friends? No, it depends on you. If you have the volition you want to learn and comprehend the, these things about Christ, then you will. If you, if you don't have pastoral volition, you won't stick with it, you'll flake off, you'll go back to living by your emotions and what you, whatever you think is, is good. And it's in the passive voice. Notice that everything in this verse here is in the passive voice. Those participles were in the passive voice. Now being filled up is in the passive voice. All you have to do is plug in. All you have to do is seek God. All you have to do is take in His Word and He does the rest. That's great. So that you'll be filled up, pleroma, to the fullness of God. Now we have the noun version of this word. It's pleroma, P-L-E-R-O-M-A, the fullness of God. Of course, we'll never become omniscient. We'll never become omnipotent. But the more doctrine that we have, the more more powerful we will be, the more we will know. So God wants us to be more like Him. And that's what this word Roma means. For some of you, this word is very important. You've heard it over and over. This is Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 through 19. I'm going to press on. You ready? Philippians 3, 7, and 8. Let's go there. See, I'm winding this up, this ninth floor, with a couple of verses that are very important. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. These two verses are are really important for those who sometimes get down, get the blues, get depressed. Verse 7 says, But whatever things are gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ. Now, before I go any further, I want to concentrate on that just a second. The surpassing value of knowing Christ. What value is it to you that you know Christ? Well, probably the first thing that pops into your head, well, I'm going to heaven. Well, that's right. And you know Christ, you know that He went to the cross, you know the gospel, you accepted the gospel, and you know Christ, so is that a value to you? Well, I guess so. If I had thought that I didn't have Christ, if I wasn't in Christ, if I wasn't certain that that's permanent, I would probably have shorter nails than I have now. I bite my nails, by the way. I've never been able to stop that habit. They say to put cayenne pepper and things like that, and I just lick it off, whatever, to get to the nails. But I'd probably bite them down to the knuckles if I didn't know for sure that Christ was that at least that value to me. So every believer, I believe, has that to a degree. But this value goes a lot more because what about the time between we believe in Jesus Christ and the time that we are going to recognize our eternal life because we will be past this veil of tears out of this world. What about that time? For some, it's a long time, uh, relatively speaking. It might be uh, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, maybe even 70 years for some people. So what do you do in the meantime? He has value even during those times. And that's where we're getting to down here at the judgment seat of Christ. Jim Elliott wrote this, and I thought this was worth showing you. He is a fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. In other words, Paul is saying, all the things that I thought were so important, and Paul had fame, he, had, he was a celebrity, he was a rising star in the Pharisees. He had everything going for him, and he says, as you'll see momentarily, that he counts it as loss in order to gain Christ. You see, all those things cannot sustain a person. They're very temporal. And so he, Elliot is right. He said he is no fool to give up what he cannot keep. Fame, by the way, uh, being recognized and being appreciated, all these things, they never last. Whatever, if you have a, a nice car and a nice house, nice clothes whatever it may be, you should be thankful to God that He's given you that measure of grace. But compared to having Christ, they're absolutely nothing because when you have Christ, when you are in Christ, nothing can change that. It's permanent. So, He is a fool to give up. He is no fool to give up what He cannot keep, the things of life, to gain what He cannot lose, which is Jesus Christ. Now, let's go back here again. He says, "...more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ, Christ Jesus my Lord, whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish." Now, I have to stop there for a moment. Paul lost his religion, his reputation, but he gained more than he lost when he gained Christ. And this word rubbish, I don't know what your translation says, but you might underline this word. Most people won't really tell you what that word is, but the Bible was written in the Koine language and it wanted to communicate, so I'm going to communicate. That Greek word is skubalon, S-K-U-B-A-L-O-N, and it means dung. D-U-N-G, if you don't know how to spell it. In fact, I have to tell you this. This word is a noun. It's the accusative plural neuter. And do you know what that means? It's plural. It means piles of dung. So if you're going to rightly divide the word of truth, it would say, For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but piles of dung in order that I may gain Christ, gaining Christ. To gain Christ is not to be found in Him, but is not only to be found in Him, but to know Him. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 tells us that. See, that I may gain Christ. You might say, well, don't I have Christ already? Haven't you been telling me that I am in Christ? He is in me. How can I lose Him? I'm not talking about gaining Christ in that sense. You already have Him in that sense, and there's no way that you can lose Him. But I'm talking about in a experiential sense. In your life, have you... Recognize the value of knowing Christ, that you may gain Christ. In one sense, it would be the gaining the approval of Christ. That's one way to see this, uh, gaining Christ. It is to have God's righteousness uh, through faith. This is what Paul, the next, the next verse starts talking about, uh, Paul recognizing that he has now God's own righteousness that comes through faith. And before, he was working, he was struggling, he was striving to be approved by God by being a Pharisee and obeying the Mosaic law, doing everything just so. But then he found out what it means to gain Christ. And to gain Christ means that he doesn't have to work in order to be approved by God in a positional sense because he already has Him. Now, it's an experiential sense. The way that you gain Christ and have the value of Christ is thinking doctrine. It's learning doctrine. It's applying doctrine. It's recalling doctrine and applying it to your circumstances. That's how you gain Christ in an experiential sense. Last one, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. This is our last verse, our last PowerPoint to look at on the ninth floor of the divine domain. Galatians 2:20. Paul says, "I have been crucified with Christ." I'm not going to go into a long dissertation what that means, just to simply in a nutshell. It means that when Jesus Christ went to the cross, you were there also positionally. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross, not only did He die for your sins, but He also died in order to break the absolute power of the old sin nature over your life. Now, as a believer, you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You have the filling of the Holy Spirit. And now, you can choose to do divine good rather than human good. And you have a power to battle sin that you didn't have before. That's what it means to be crucified with Christ. Then it says, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Think about that. Are are you all at this verse? Did you go to the verse? I want you to underline that part. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. This is not talking about the indwelling of Christ. It's talking about Christ living you in an experiential way. If you're ever going to get off the ground in your spiritual life, the first thing you have to recognize, and it goes along with grace orientation, is that this life is not about you. and It's not about me. This life is about Christ. All things were created by Him, and what does it say next? For Him. It's not until you start recognizing that, hey, this life is about Christ. I am His. I am a servant of the Most High. People are out there trying to have a good time, have fun, get all the gusto, all the zeal out of life you can, and they leave God out of the mix. They are not occupied with Christ. Christ is not living in them in an experiential way. And once they get everything that they can get, that the world has to offer, do you know how they wind up? Empty. Completely empty. Because it's only that relationship with God through Christ that satisfies that deep yearnings that you have on the inside. Do you want stability? Do you want to be rooted and grounded? There's nothing else that this life... Has to offer at all outside of Christ that's going to give you that. This is so important. That's why I'm ending on this verse that this life is not about us. And for a lot of people, that's a hard pill to swallow because that's all they've lived their entire life is for me, me, me. The universe resolves, revolves around me. And everybody was put on earth to cater to me. And that is stinking thinking. And you have to become humble. And sometimes God will take a person like that and He will grind them into a fine powder to where they recognize they need help. And then they start looking up and they start to realize for the first time, hey, maybe it's not about me. Happened to Nebuchadnezzar after he was out there chewing cud with the cows. Had long hair, fingernails grew out. He was the king. He thought... He was thinking, how great am I? There's nobody like me. Look, look, look what all I have done. And God said, well, He didn't say it. He just did. He said, I think He needs attitude judgment, uh, adjust, adjustment. And so He went out and ate cud with the cows for, what was it, seven years? How would you like to go out and live with cows for seven years? And the life which I now live in the flesh, which means in this temporary Time that I have, I live by faith in the Son of God. You see, you can't, you can't have Christ. Christ is not going to live in you in an experiential sense apart from faith. You have to believe who He is. You have to believe what the Word says. It has to really communicate. You do it by faith because there's going to be a lot of people out there saying that you're a kook. Uh, some Many of you aren't here during the week because it's impractical. You live too far away, and it's, it's hard, it would be impractical for you to come and, and leave. Uh, we, we, we meet, uh, well, I teach Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And some of you uh, would have people allege, well, you must be a kook if you go to church that much. Well, I used to go to Baraka Church, and we met every, at that time, we met six times a week, and someone asks you when you go to church. Well, let's see, I go Sunday, I go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and Friday. And they say, and twice on Sundays, by the way. And they would look at you, are you crazy? Are you absolutely out of your gourd? You must be a really sinful person. And need church that bad? That's what some of them think. And what is the whole idea of it? Is that you have to continue to keep getting that spiritual nourishment in your soul because whenever you start to flake off, whenever something else something has distracted you, something else comes more important. You know what you start losing? You know what you start losing? Christ is what you start losing in an experiential sense. Now, you cannot lose Christ. i said it over and over again. He's in you and you are in him positionally but experientially when you're not using doctrine anymore and you'd be amazed at how fast you can go from thinking doctrine being on target growing spiritually to over here forgetting it all it can just in a heartbeat nearly it can it can happen that quickly So he says, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered Himself up for me. I think it will take all eternity and more for us to recognize the depth of Christ's love, to leave the glory of heaven, step down to earth and become lower than angels, a man and go to the cross. We can't even start to fathom that because we can't fathom Christ in the sense of His glory. We see Christ through His Word right now and we can love Christ because of what it tells us. We love Him because He first loved us. But is it unreasonable? Is it unreasonable for us to say that we are to live our life for Christ? If you do expect people to assail you and say that, well, you're just a, you're one of those fanatics. You're a spiritual kook. Are there spiritual kooks? Yes, there are. Just turn turn to channel 14. Well, I don't know if it's 14. Everything's screwed up when they changed it from analog, digital, whatever they did. It's not 14. It's, what, 22 now. And they have about five stations. And I, this is the kooksville. And there's, there are spiritual kooks, but it's not because they're getting too much doctrine. It's because they believe the lie. And they haven't been taught properly. And they think that emotionalism is spirituality. And they try to out-spiritualize each other by who can get the most emotional. And if you can be bouncing off the walls or stuck to the floor or, you know, wailing your hands around, whirling them around, and wailing and hollering and carrying on? That's not living for Christ. It is not unreasonable for us to do this. And here's the kicker. See, a lot of people think, ooh, living for Christ, ooh, what do I have to give up? Ooh, I have to give up beer. I have to give up dancing. Uh... I have to give up a lot of things. Uh, I I like to go to the lake and fish on Sundays. I have to give that. And it goes on and on. And they don't realize that's the lie. Try it. You'll like it. That's what I'm thinking. Just try taking in the Word, growing in grace, being occupied with Christ, and everything will be completely different. You will not see life the same way anymore. Now, I'm tempted to just end right there. That was my ending point. Wouldn't that be a good closing point? But I'm not. (laughs) Because we have a few minutes left. And if I had any sense, which I don't have much of, I would just end and go on. But at least I want to do one thing now. I want to go on to... The uh, top floor. Y'all remember where we are? Here it is right here. We've gone from rebound, filling of the Holy Spirit, faith rest. This is an old one. This, uh compliant adapt- adaptability. I changed it. This is an older one to hot, H-O-T. Hot is the one, two, three, fourth floor. No, I have it. Oh, okay, I have it. Compliant adaptability. This next one, hot. Humility, objectivity, teachability, then we have personal sense of destiny, personal love for God, personal love for man, occupation with Christ, and now we 're ready to hit the tenth floor. Are you ready to hit the tenth floor? Are you ready to go to the penthouse? okay, thank you i don 't know some of you today i don 't know i'm' kind of tired. Oh, y'all don't, I don't want you seeing this. When I closed a while ago, I closed my next PowerPoint. The one I was going to do, but I'm so great on this computer that if y'all hold in there about 20 more minutes, I'll bring it up. I've been looking forward to giving you this. Okay, are you ready? Here's the first thing we're going to look at. Happiness is related to God. Simple sentence, isn't it? But it's pretty, pretty profound, really. Happiness, all happiness, true happiness, is related to God. Whenever you leave God out of the mix, happiness is just a shadow, just a vapor. It's gone. I hate to be reduced to a bumper sticker, but it's so great. You've probably seen this before, but it really is a good one. No God, that is in N-O, God, no happiness. You know the rest, don't you? No God, no happiness. I know that's cheap, but it's good. That's why I'm using it. No God in your life, no happiness. No, K-N-O-W, God, no happiness. You know, who who came up with the spelling anyway is what I want to know. Who decided, well, we can't have no, meaning no negative and no something. We need to change it. I know what we'll do. We'll add a K and a W to it. (laughs) No rhyme or reason for it, is there? True happiness is an enduring mindset of contentment, confidence, and courage because it does not depend on people, circumstances, or things. True happiness is an enduring... That's the key right there. An enduring mindset of contentment. Do you have that? Do you have an enduring mindset of contentment? I can tell you something right now because I know these people so well. I know that whatever, whatever is happening to Doc and Pete right now, whatever it is, and this is a traumatic thing that a person can go through, I know they have contentment because they are occupied with Christ. And they have that kind of happiness that even something like this will not shake their complete love and devotion to their God. Because they know and trust Him that He always will do what is absolutely best and perfect and there is a reason behind it all. So when you can have that enduring mindset to the point to where it doesn't depend on your circumstances no matter what they may be, then you're going to have that confidence I am so glad that I have doctrine. Are you? I am so glad that God has revealed His Word to me and given me the great system of perception and I can actually understand what the God of the universe wants me to do and what He wants me to think. That gives me confidence. I'm so glad when someone talks to me about spiritual matters, I I can speak with absolute dogmatism. Even though they're wishy-washy, you have people everywhere from not knowing even if God exists to those who wonder, well, did Christ really go to the cross? Did He really rise from the dead? Was He really born of a virgin? That's nonsense. I mean, that is a double-minded person. I am so glad that God has given me, as well as you and anyone else that is hungry for His Word, confidence and courage. Confidence and courage goes along together. Not only courage facing death, but also courage facing life. It does not depend on people, circumstances, or things. Now that is the place to end because that is where we're going to begin next time. That happiness does not depend on people, circumstances, or things, which would be a revelation to a lot of people. Now, in the closing moments, I'd like for you to close your eyes and bow your head for just a moment. There may be someone here who has not believed in Jesus Christ. They don't have any confidence, courage, no security, always frightened. They're being blown here and about by their circumstances. I'm here to tell you that Jesus Christ went to the cross for you if that's what you're thinking. He paid the sin price. He said it's finished. Sin is no longer an issue. It's what thinks you of Christ. He was buried, rose again, and now offers eternal life to anyone who will believe Him and Him alone for it. You can do it in a moment of time by simply inaudibly thinking the words, I believe in Jesus Christ. And in that moment, you're born again. Now, Father, we're so thankful for who and what you are and that you have revealed these great things to us. May we be mindful of them. And we pray that you will watch over Pete and Doc, and that you will bring him back to us. For we pray it in Christ's most high and holy name. Amen.